Hello, and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. Nate is in Philadelphia. Uh, he was there for the joint practice. Got to make sure I don't make it plural because it's only one. Uh, between the Colts and the Eagles, uh, we're taping this on Tuesday. Um, and we're just going to pick his brain. We, we Typically, at the star, we only send one person to preseason games. I did Buffalo. Nate is getting Philadelphia, which also earned in the joint practice. Uh, but we're just going to pick his brain a little bit on what he saw. Um, first of all, let's get the first thing out of the way. Uh, it sounded like there were more fights in that training camp than any Colts joint practice since uh, Freddie Kitchens brought the wrestling fighting Browns to the to Grand Park a couple, in, I think, 19. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because for a while in that, I was talking to some other Eagles writers about how there wasn't anything really getting that close to it. Like there were guys, it seemed like there were guys ready to get that going, especially felt like Eagles players wanted to sort of send some message about kind of what kind of where this team is and isn't uh, just in moment, just in small moments. Like there's a moment that Mo Ali Cox got cracked down really hard, but he didn't really react. There's a moment where uh, there's a Colts receiver that was uh, flexing on Ronnie Harrison kind of right up in his face. He didn't really, really react. So for a while, they were like, in the individual one-on-one moments, guys were being good about not reacting too much. Uh, the first moment where it kind of started to spike up was when uh, Anthony Richardson, sort of after the play, was kind of on the, on the edge. But he gets uh, the ball swatted out of his hands by Derek Barnett, who's like running with it. And I guess Bernard Ryman, it looked like he thought that that was after the play or too late. And you never see Bernard Ryman really be the one to instigate, but he kind of got right in his face. More more felt like a, a left tackle that just wanted to let his, his guy know, like, hey, you're not going to disrespect our quarterback. But that one broke up pretty quickly. So I kept feeling like there were little scares that would just quickly diffuse. But it was almost like it was it was just slowly ticking. And, you know, you get late in the practice – and this was about an hour and a half in. And I noticed on a play, Zaire Franklin just cracked one of the running backs who didn't react then. But I thought, like, I mean, we're getting close to something here. Zaire was really playing with a lot of energy and emotion out there. I knew he would because you know, he's a guy from North Philly, uh, came back here. And, um, you know, and he, I think he could sense, at least he sort of implied this, that he, he could sense that. Uh, what I'm talking about, how they, they were getting pushed around a little bit and didn't want to be pushed around in that way. Shaquille Leonard wasn't out here. He's not traveling with the team. So someone's got to bring that juice. And, and Zaire said he, he felt like he was the guy to do it today. But then the very next play is where it boiled over and Jalen Hurts hit Kenneth Gainwell on a on a swing pass. Gainwell kind of made a guy miss, turned back inward, and, and Zaire just really blew it up, just, uh, just really smacked him down. I mean, it legal hit. But the kind of you'd see in a game, but it would it would be bone crushing in a game. But it seemed like that was a moment where it, it it just went far for a guy like Jason Kelsey, who's always been the you know the leader of the Eagles and the I guess the enforcer in some ways. And he just comes sprinting over at Zaire Franklin, and it looked as if, uh, based on how Kelsey described it to us later, like it seemed like he wanted to more get over there quickly and say something. But Zaire Franklin wasn't looking at him in that moment. He'd almost turned back to Kenneth Gainwell, not to flex, but just to kind of look at the guy on the ground. And so Kelsey just kept running, just straight ran Zaire Franklin over, uh, threw him onto the ground. And that's when like 150 players came and converged in the middle of the field. And 
uh, coaches are trying to break it up, but I think they realized like this is the moment that it that it just needed to end. So um, it sort of was uh, it was it was basically edging toward that all day. I think at the end of it, the way that the Eagles kind of described it, I wasn't there for this, but I saw the Eagles uh, beat sharing when Kenneth Gainwell talked about it. He said uh, to find his exact quote here, but it was he basically said we whooped their ass today. That's kind of what the vibe was out here is I think the Eagles were getting high on the fact that another team came in here. And to be honest with you, that that's what happened. They 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 just kind of mow down this team right now. Uh, they just in in the in, in the areas where they could control offensive and defensive lines, uh, they, they dominated. It was easy to see which team had just gone to the Super Bowl and which team is you know, a youth movement going on and was missing some key players and the Eagles seem to feed on that. And at certain points, Zaire Franklin was a guy that just, you know, like everyone's got a little sense of pride, didn't want to deal with that anymore. And uh, that's kind of where it boiled over. Um, Kelsey kind of told uh, Philadelphia reporters afterwards that he felt like he did. He, he was kind of mad at himself. He, t- he felt like he let the emotion get to him and took a cheap shot. It sounds like a cheap shot. I mean, if you hit a guy from the back, that's a cheap shot. Yeah, I was there for that. He uh, he still didn't like how Zaire handled that play, but he did admit that like he took that just way, way, way further than a team captain needs to take a play. And he said he's it's something he's got to work on and work through. Uh, you know, it's one of those. It's like he wants to be the enforcer, but that's why I think like in hindsight, he he wanted to more have a vocal confrontation uh, rather than a play that basically ended the entire practice. So. I mean, looking back, it, Zaire, he did more than you have to in this setting, but it wasn't an illegal play. It was it was just a moment where pretty much the Eagles were flexing on the Colts a lot today, and the Colts finally really snapped back in a moment, and the team that had been doing the, the trash talking didn't seem to like it. How did, uh, how did Anthony Richardson look? So Anthony was all right. Again, it was... It's hard to evaluate because almost every time he dropped back, he was just swallowed in the pocket. And a lot of plays whistled dead or he'd scramble either to the perimeter to get away from it for like a a four or five yard run or up the middle for just short gains. though nothing explosive because the plays were so ruined so quickly by Jalen Carter and, and Jordan Davis up the middle. Colts were they had Ryan Kelly back, but he was rotating in and out with Danny Pinter. They did not have Will Fries, and they decided to go with Carter O'Donnell, a matchup that Jordan Davis just won easily with power. Um, you know, these are two first-round picks along the defensive line for the Eagles, but also guys that complement each other well with uh, with Davis's power and, and Carter, uh, more the athlete. The guy could have gone in the top, you know, top three if not for his off-the-field incident. So Anthony was just kind of running for his life. I mean, there were. And there were moments where he he went four of eight today, uh, but no passes beyond like 10 yards or so. Uh, Completed one over the middle to Josh Downs and a slant, one over the middle sort of contested to Michael Pittman Jr. Both of those were good throws, but he rushed some. Outside the numbers, he just, he wasn't accurate. And he he just seemed like he was rushing it because every time he was dropping back, it was like, when am I going to get you know, when is Jordan Davis or Jalen Carter going to get in my face? And so uh, there were moments when Anthony, I mean, looks good as a runner that if they hadn't whistled it dead, I would like to see what he'd do when he leveled up on a, you know, a smaller linebacker or a secondary player. So we didn't get to see 
like we have it all camp. He didn't get to see the upside of his rushing, but uh, but he he explained after the game that like this or after the practice that this was just a good measuring stick for him to go up against kind of the, the standard in the NFL, a team that that just rolled everybody to the until they got to the Super Bowl, a defense loaded with playmakers. And and he said, you know, it just it just shows him kind of where he has to has to go right now. So he's trying to manage pressure better. And he also mentioned like that play where he got uh, where he got stripped that he's he's just got to be a little more careful with the ball. And I did see that that was the one good part is when he was throwing the ball when he was under pressure, he really didn't risk it outside of that borderline strip sack. He didn't throw the ball in harm's way. Again, when he missed, he missed high or he missed out to the sideline. Uh, you know, ball placement stuff, he's got to tighten up, but nothing that put the ball in harm's way. So that at least was kind of the, I guess, the silver lining. Ball, ball security while running is maybe an underrated storyline of camp. I think with yep. that one today, I think that's his third or fourth fumble in 11 on 11, and he can't be hit. Um, and who knows? I, I don't know if that's going to – like, I don't know if that changes when he knows he's going to be tackled. Um, but it's just something that, like, you mentioning it and, take, and talking through the play made me think, like, that's something we're going to have to keep in mind going into the regular season is is how does he handle the ball when he's running it. Because it has – he has had, like, legitimate fumbles three or four times. And that's that's a significant amount of times considering that he's wearing a red practice – a red non-contact jersey. Yeah, that's a good point. I do, I do wonder if it's different when, like, he's so focused on the fact that he can't get touched and he's going to get the ball out. Um, but it'll be interesting because he's going to run a lot this year, especially if they don't, you know, they don't bring Jonathan Taylor back into the fold. One thing I noticed uh, today was, I guess it'll depend because today he was running a lot of these read option plays, but he was handing off a ton to the outside. It was like the Eagles were like just. You know, just give the ball to your running back. Like, we have the athletes on the perimeter to handle that. They wanted the ball out of Anthony Richardson's hands. But there's going to be moments, certainly, like I said, in the past game where he's got to scramble to get out of pressure. He's got to create a first down with his legs uh, to sort of manage things. And so uh, we'll see. We'll see kind of because he wants to play physically, too. He loves to He loves to finish with physicality. And so it'll be interesting to see how his ball security is in those moments. I, I think I think the other piece you mentioned, you said it was four of eight, right? Yep. Yeah, I, I think the other piece you mentioned about some of the inaccuracies, I think the Colts are just going to have to live with some of that this year. It, yep. it never really, outside of the, the, he had two really nice practices right in the middle of camp before the first preseason game, back-to-back, that looked really good. But I think outside of that, that was a pretty consistent theme throughout training camp. Like, there's going to be some misses. He's, he's working on his accuracy. Obviously, he's trying to be better at it. But it's, it doesn't seem like something that's just going to be fixed in one offseason, which, I mean, I think most of us knew that. But I think it's important to say is is it, it just feels like those are there. Like and, and I when I say that, like, obviously, everyone has incomplete passes and and bad throws. But there's just times where you see, you know, he's in the pocket, he's clear, he's set up. And then all of a sudden. All of a sudden, he uh, he just he just misses. It's kind of inexplicable. It's kind of like what the I've been calling him Dodd's throws in my notes because uh, Ed Dodd said it, that you know his thing was he asked Richardson, hey, what happens on those throws when everything's fine and clear and you uh, you just miss before the draft? And you, that you see that you see that happen. It happens. Um, 
I, I think everyone probably should have expected that. I think it's just important to note that in, in a training camp when I think you and me have both said a lot of um, very complimentary things about the way Richardson has handled himself, the way he's developed, I think it's important to note that there are some some things that I think the Colts are just going to end up living with this season. Yeah, he's he and you know he and they seem aware of that too. That's why they keep talking about the need for reps, the need to play, the need to learn, the need to sometimes fail. And there are moments like that in kind of every setting where he just like today. Even though I I, I think it was the internal clock he was rushed by, but when, when he would have like a cross or a flare that was once it got outside the hash marks and certainly outside the numbers he just finding those players moving east west at that level of the field it's just been a consistent hard throw for him and it's it's not just it's it's not just situational because i noticed that the combine is throwing session that was you know he, he he struggled with that there now he offsets it sometimes with you know just an absolutely gorgeous deep ball when he's just trying to throw vertically on on kind of a line he can kind of rainbow it and it looks wonderful and and he'll have throws across the middle that are that are good. It's interesting because they're, they're I'm going to write this up tomorrow, but you know they're obviously they're the Jalen Hurts comparisons are always going to be there because of the coach that they share. And not only that, but uh, Jalen Hurts's offense coordinator now is Anthony Richardson's offense coordinator, his rookie year at Florida. So they're trying to develop him in the way that Jalen Hurts was. And obviously, if he, that if that works, it's going to be incredible because Hurts was a runner up in the MVP. But Hurts, his first year, you know, completed 52% of his passes uh, with the Eagles. Uh, obviously, a terrible number. The next year was 61.3, so it was getting better. And then last year was 66.5. But it's with this year, it's how they're similar in some ways, but they're, the type of accuracy issues they have are also very different, where Hurts was good throwing outside the numbers and that sort of RPO kind of quick read type stuff. He could He could run those routes well. It was... Across the middle was more of his challenge of of delivering it at the right spots. That's kind of why they went out and they got AJ Brown, where big catch radius, you don't have to, you know, he gets really open. You don't have to be quite as precise. You can sort of build it that way. That helped accelerate his leap. It'd be interesting to see how the Colts do it because it's sort of the opposite issue now. Because when I see him throw over the middle, he's got that big frame, can see it, can spot it, and through nice passes today to Josh Downs and Michael Pittman, it's those outside the numbers, outside the hash marks, throws wide of the field, and also throws when he's on the move. Um, I saw some advanced stats where he was like minus 23% in accuracy in college whenever he was throwing scrambling. So it's just one of those where like they're going to have to live with what he does well, which is the deep ball and some pass across the middle. And then over time in probably beyond this season it's going to take to develop those outside throws because that's just not where his game is right now there does there does seem to be a big difference between throws that are ver- like routes that are vertical in nature and routes that are crossing east west because when he's yep. missed over the middle in training camp it's it's almost always been on like a deep end or something like that where the receiver is moving east west over the over the middle um you're right definitely more uh happens more on the sidelines but there have been well, like when he's had them in the in in the middle of the field in training camp, it's it's not on it's not on a route where the guy is necessarily moving up the field. It's across the field, um, which I think you know in terms of interceptions, I I still don't think I've seen a lot of trying to force stuff. I, I don't I, I never really remember coming away from a practice thinking he's trying to force it in where it doesn't need to be or he's not seeing 
defensive backs and stuff like that, it's it's misses on on throws. You know, like I mean, the Buffalo interception is a good example. Like that's a little bit of a force with with a bad route, but the the real reason it turned into an interception is because he threw it way over the head of Isaiah McKenzie. You know, and I I think that some of that horizontal movement, like that's that's going to be something to watch because when you miss over the heads of people as they're crossing the field or as you've got levels of receivers, that's sometimes that's how interceptions happen. You know, the ball sails over the head of the receiver you're trying to get to, and there's another receiver behind it. That That's going to be interesting to see. Again, uh, I think it's just important for us at the end of training camp to kind of go through some of this stuff so we're not overly hyping Richardson and not giving him – what I think is is probably the more accurate and um, lenient elevation or uh, evaluation where you're looking at like there, there's going to be some things he's got to work on. You know, I, I think in in light of the Jonathan Taylor news that broke on Monday night, and we'll get to that I think at the end of the podcast. Uh, I've just seen it feels like on online, which is always a it's always a bad idea to, to pay close attention to what's going on online. But it feels like there's so much talk about Richardson lifting up all these other positions. And, I mean, he, he's going to go through some growing pains. He's a rookie. Um, it's, it's interesting to me to think about, like, talking about – there's two ways to look at it. I think there's one way to look at it where you go, okay, we feel like his mobility, his pocket awareness probably helps the offensive line some. Um, it's going to help open – holes in the running game, regardless of who the running back is, because someone is there. Uh, but, I mean, all of that stuff, in theory, maybe maybe not the pocket awareness. I don't think Justin Fields has the same pocket awareness coming out of college. But all the same stuff could be said of Justin Fields in terms of opening holes for the running backs, that kind of thing. And... Ultimately, the storyline that was coming out of Chicago last season was the Bears haven't done enough to help Justin Fields. And there's a part of me that wonders, like, you know, wherever this is headed with Taylor, you know, wherever it's headed with the depth on the offensive line, which is a significant issue. And you already alluded to this with with the the Eagles defensive tackles kind of dominating practice without Ryan Kelly and and Will Fries out there like. There's also there's also the chance that we're talking about this at the end of the season and going, hey, there's some really good signs from Richardson. They probably should have given him more help. Yeah, I, I think they're today really underscored that because, like I said, you see it on the offensive line. You see it where they're so mismatched against, you know, both power and speed in the middle there. And the way that Flummox is a rookie quarterback who's developing and then. Like I said, I noticed it every time that he handed the ball off, uh, especially when he was handing it off sort of to the uh, perimeter. They were trying to get away from those guys. They didn't want to. They knew they couldn't just run right at Jordan Davis and survive that way. But it's like Evan Hull and Deion Jackson were just they're just not going to be explosive on those plays. I mean, they they may be fine. And there's going to be times when Anthony makes their life a little easier in that. But but they could use at times as someone. What's that? And Zach, and, Zach, and Zach Moss is slower than both of them. Like, yeah. Zach Moss is very tough between the tackles, but, like, if you're talking about 40 times, 
and just top end speed capabilities, Zach Moss is slower than both Jackson and Hull. Yeah, that's a good point. Like there are just moments where they need they need someone to to lift the whole group up. I think the whole offense needs that. Back in 2021, the Colts were kind of in that same spot where you know you had a quarterback who wasn't the most accurate and efficient, Carson Wentz. He had young receivers, uh, but but there were moments that it just took one play for Jonathan Taylor to to rip off a 40 yard gain. And then at least you feel like, okay, we can get three points or sometimes you take it to the house and then drive early, just lower the stress on everybody. And I think that's going to be an easier way to, for, for Anthony Richardson to live. And not just that, but it's like, even you look at his receiving core, which I, that was the one thing today I thought the Colts did impressively well. Well, there's two things. One of them was, getting DeForest Buckner back and Grover Stewart. Like that looks like the run defense of last year, just dominant in the middle. But the other thing was like, I, I was pretty impressed with the Colts wide receivers, Josh Downs, Michael Pittman Jr. And Alec Pierce all kind of did their thing, you know, where Pierce could get down the field. He beat James Bradbury one-on-one, just toasted him. Uh, Michael Pittman can win some contested catches and Josh Downs can get open pretty early on out of the slot. But there's still not like it's not like the Eagles receiving core that was lifting up Jalen Hurts early on before Hurts really hit it because Dallas Goddard is a veteran because, you know, Devontae Smith is a first round receiver who stepped right in and could get 900 yards as a rookie, you know, and then A.J. Brown last year was, you know, a, a superstar wide receiver who could step in and do that. Like they they're still very young and we see moments like that, like the. Uh, you know, that that play in Buffalo that Alec Pierce didn't quite come down with like that. They're they're not gonna they're both gonna hold each other back at times because that's just what young teams do. And you really do hope though that like like it's going to have growing pains. We always knew that. But I do think today going up a team as good as the Eagles, uh, without Jonathan Taylor, without this interior of the offensive line, like you do fear that if they don't fix one of those areas, either running back or offensive line, that they could be putting him in the spot that Justin Fields was in. Maybe not the schematic issues he had. I do think you can trust Shane Sykin, but at a certain point, like it, it, players are more important than plays. And today showed that to me where Shane Sykin was aware that we can't just run up the middle on these guys. What he wasn't able to do was find many other answers. And if you can't find easy answers for your rookie quarterback, you know, asking him to bail you out of those situations, that's just a little bit risky. Defensively, what did you see today? Like I said, it was great to have DeForest Buckner back out there. He was just in, like it, it almost looked like they they must have been really precautious with him in the past week because he was he was out there and he was doing his thing immediately. And Zaire Franklin joked that he's got 99 back so he can uh, talk some shit the entire practice because he said one out of every three plays DeForest is just going to wreck it anyway. Doesn't really matter what he's up against, and that that's kind of what we saw today. So I think it was encouraging to see the run defense they had. Against an Eagles offense that you know doesn't have Miles Sanders back, but you know was number one in the NFL in, in rushing offense last year, so that part of it was good. Uh, the part that was a lot harder was trying to survive in the back end. Now, the, like the the Eagles, this is the passing game that, that you dream of eventually building, where you've got these guys all in their prime: Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith, AJ Brown, Dallas Goddard. But you, you saw the the gap there is that. Devonta Smith was just incredible today going up against Daryl Baker Jr. And just it just looked like the kind of thing I've been saying is that Daryl Baker Jr. is playing with a lot of confidence. He's got some good skills, clearly better than an undrafted player should be. But he's not 
you know, he's not as experienced as even a guy like Devontae Smith, not as crafty. And, and so Devontae beat him deep on a route by quite a bit, was able to adjust to, to a, even though he poorly timed the jump to come down with a 40-yard play. And they get the ball down to like the 12-yard line going into the end zone. And Darrell Baker all of a sudden plays with a lot of cushion. And that's sort of like he, he didn't need to play with that much cushion in the red zone. But Devontae was in his head at that point where he had just toasted him. He's, he's a little too fast for the way that uh, he was able to get off press too easily. So Darrell Baker played back, and that's where it was just easy pitch and catch back shoulder ball to Devontae Smith for the touchdown. And those are just some of the plays I think they're going to have to live with. I, I think there are moments where Darrell Baker – has made good plays on the ball. Uh, they, they're going to need to be able to turn it over that way, though, to make up for these because they're going to be they're just going to get beat on the perimeter at times. They were playing Julian Blackman over Nick Cross, uh, you know, to um, to bring a little bit more of that experience out there. But today was a day where I felt like they they needed a Shaq Leonard, someone who could just do something across the middle, something you know, pick a pass off, punch a ball out. Uh, you know, do something, maybe add to the pass rush around the edge. Because right now it looked like a team that looks, a defense that looks really good against runs up the middle, uh, but is going to have to, you know, live with lots of inexperience on the outside and doesn't quite yet that I've seen have the edge rush to make up for that quite yet. So uh, that this, I still feel like Shaquille Leonard between just the occasional pass rush and, and turnover prowess that's going to be their best chance of surviving the youth here because Daryl Baker, Dallas Flyers, they can be as confident as they want, but the two of those combined for 174 career snaps and the two corners behind them on the outside have zero career snaps. They're just going to go up against this sometimes against uh, really good passing offenses. Yeah, I think the thing that sticks out to me about Daryl Baker Jr. just from the rest of camp, obviously I wasn't up there today, but just from watching the rest of camp is that he's generally – pretty good on the shorter routes, attacking and being aggressive on the shorter routes. He has struggled when uh, Alec Pierce has been matched up against him and is going down the field. Um, and, I, I, you know, that's something I'm keeping in mind going forward as we get into the regular season is, is does that continue? Is it a, a boomer bust type thing? Um, Pierce has told us before that Baker likes to play in trail position because he is confident in his speed to make up for it. But sometimes if you play in trail position, uh, you get run away from, you know? So uh, I think that that's something to, to be, to be aware of going forward. Now, hopefully, hopefully during the regular season, you're hoping that Rodney, the, the coaches are playing to that and Rodney Thomas is playing over the top of Baker. Um, but it's just something that's come up over and over again. What we're, not, what we're kind of trying to do in this podcast right now, at least what I'm kind of trying to do is, um, you know, use Nate's uh, observations off of today and then kind of give you, I'm in the middle of going through my um, annual 53 takeaways from training camp. And so I'm trying to give you the, the, the six, the 13 day view of that, that goes along with what Nate's giving you in kind of the one day view in, in the big joint practices with the Eagles. Um, the edge rush piece is interesting. I think, like, I, I like Quiddy Pay as a rusher, but I think he is more of a second effort rusher. Yep. Um, in terms of how he gets his sacks, uh, which those guys, I think, can be very effective. I think second effort rushes and sacks, and Gus Bradley is constantly preaching this to us, that 
like second effort sacks are still sacks. Um, but usually those guys are more most productive and play best when they have somebody to always flush the, the quarterback in the pocket to them. Um, and I, I don't know. We have we honestly we have not seen a ton of Samson and Bukum yet. I don't know if he's going to be that guy. We'll see. Um, and I, and that 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 is going to put an enormous amount of pressure on Buckner and really on Dio Dengbo too in the middle to kind of be the 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 real penetrators and force things to happen. Which is that's sometimes that's tough when you're doing that with your inside rush. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting because it's like I think about it in terms like I brought up the run defense. When you add Quiddy Pay into that, all of a sudden it looks pretty good on that front. They've insulated, they've created a situation where they can play a Leo edge rusher who is focused more on the pass rush. That was what they tried to build it for Yannick and Gakwe. Now Samson Abukum is here to do that. But you, you bring up a good point about the the number two rusher thing because the guy they signed to do that has always been a number two rusher in Ebukam. And so he wants to take the leap to be a number one. Maybe he can. I think he's got some skills, but I haven't seen it yet. He's missed time in camp. And I just, I would, I would preach a little bit of caution with expectations for him just because the situation is so much different. He's coming from San Francisco where Nick Bosa was that number one and had the attention of every team all the time. And that's where the tight end was going to be. And that's where the chip is going to be. And that's where the back was going to look. And they were going to roll out the, you know, they were going to slide protection. They were going to do all this to account for Nick Bosa. And I've covered the 49ers defensive line coach, Chris Kutzerik, in Detroit. And he was a master at using that sort of attention on a premier edge rusher to create one-on-one opportunities on the other side and really create production for that player. I think Abugam's better than the other guys I've seen Chris Kutzerik work with. But the different, but the thing is still is he has yet to be, you know, it's you, at some point, Pay or Bukum have to be that guy who can take on a tight end along with a tackle, who can blow up a running back after they get around the tackle, who can, you know, excel that way. Or maybe they're both good enough to where they they can sort of trade that on on and off. But I still think for uh, designing the defense, it's it's going to be easier if one of them steps forward. And Quiddy Pay, it's interesting. I I did like him against the Bears in. Uh, in the joint practices, I noticed he does look a little slimmer. He slimmed down maybe five or so pounds because he's trying to get more toward that number one type level, but it's still not quite there. And the other guy needs, I need to just see more out of his Dio Dengbo. You know, there's a moment here, there where he'll, when he gets lined up inside, you know, he can win a matchup against a guard and, and flash those skills. But I just haven't he's seen better it inside. He's a better pass rusher inside, I think. Yeah. From what we've seen so far, yeah. was Pay going up against Lane Johnson today? Uh, yeah, he was over. Yeah, for the most part, he was going up against Lane Johnson. They're, they're going to try to rush Pay off the left side more. He he prefers to rush off the left side, so they they are going to try to do that. Um, yeah, but well, Lane man, Johnson I watched, is I watched the of the defense because they had the two fields, and to be honest with you, like. <laughs> guys were getting open so easily and against the secondary that it kind of negated that rush but that's kind of what we're getting at though is like the they always say rush and cover go together well i think you could look at this pass rush and say you know especially when you add in what deforest buckner can do it maybe it's an average rush maybe it's slightly above average but it probably needs to be better than that 
to survive some of the youth on the outside. And today was an example of where that combination wasn't quite there. Yeah, I, I keep thinking about that is, you know, last year they had the second most sacks in uh, Indianapolis Colts history for a single season, but it was Stephon Gilmore on the outside. And, you know, Isaiah Rogers taking away some of those those early throws right away. Rodney McLeod, too. That's it. Like Rodney McLeod's knowledge of football and taking away the initial thing. Like, it'll be interesting to see if Julian Blackman can replace that. Um, in terms of just in terms of the the sheer amount of just knowing where the ball is going to go that Rodney McLeod has from being in the NFL as long as he's been in the NFL. It'll be interesting to see if he can replace that. But you're, you're right. I've been thinking about that all all training camp is is if these corners struggle, does the pass rush even have a chance? Um, and and the answer to that is usually no in the NFL. So, um, yeah. And the other thing that I've been thinking about is like Kenny Moore has had a nice camp. He seems to be rejuvenated. He seems to be more in the confident space he was a couple of years ago. But really what always brings that out the most for Kenny is making impact plays in obviously with turnovers. And that's where like the outside corners have to hold up enough to ever force a team to go in the slot. Like at this point, I don't know why I would throw in the slot you know, against this team until they prove that they can handle it on the outside, you know, enforce it that way. So um, so yeah, they're just they're hamstrung by some levels of youth here, and I think Rodney McLeod's a good another good example, both um, communicator, and then that's another guy that just added that much to the run defense um, when they would play a safety in the box. Uh, you want to you know if you can force this team if if this defense can play in obvious pass downs where Quiddy Pay and Samson Ebicom can pretty much play the full level of their athleticism, and you can have Dio Adangbo next to DeForest Buckner. Then I can see the passers being, you know, pretty good. But I, I, they're good. It, it asks a lot out of everybody else to get them in enough of those situations. Because right now, when it's like third and three, you know, I, I think they're a little bit challenged by the fact that they maybe just don't. You, you add in all the premium spots, the two edge spots, the two outside corner spots, they just don't have a dude. And at least last year they had Stephon Gilmore. Uh, this year they're searching for at least one player who can kind of be in that dude range. Well, I think I think regardless of what you know we've seen or what we think we've seen from them on the practice fields, because obviously you know we're I'm a flawed scout, you're a flawed scout, but like if you're just looking at from a game plan perspective, just to kind of you know back up your point on Kenny Moore going into the season, like you're going to be looking at tape holds defense if you're an offensive coordinator from last season going, I don't see any of these cornerback numbers on the field outside. I see some 23. I don't really see anybody else on the outside. And and I think it's it's I don't think it's a big leap to say that you if you're an offensive coordinator, you'd be tempted to attack that. So um I think that's definitely going to be something going on. I, we're going to move it now into the Jonathan Taylor discussion. Um which I, I'm just, I'm so exhausted of this conversation. And, and I, and my frustration really has less to do with, this is going to sound crazy. My frustration at this point has less to do with Taylor or Taylor's agent or Ursay or Ballard or whatever's going on. And just 
like I feel like especially online it's been talked about so much that we're at the point now where like we're just we're just looking for any possible scenario like last night online I was seeing people essentially say Jonathan Taylor's never been good which I just don't I <laughs> I don't no. I don't understand that like I I understand that I understand that maybe you shouldn't pay a running back given their lack of that like what the NFL's doing I understand like you know EPA per play and all the stuff about like the passing game is more important all of those discussions I'm willing to have not really willing to have the was Jonathan Taylor ever good at all uh conversation like a healthy Jonathan Taylor like a 2021 version of Jonathan Taylor like he rushed for 1811 yards and like everyone always talks about like a lot of times it's it's related to offensive line or it's related to the boxes you're facing. Everyone in the stadium for the last eight games of that season on every play knew that they were trying to get the ball to Jonathan Taylor. L- literally every game down the stretch, they were just like, throw it against us. And the Colts were like, nah, we don't want to. It might, that might go bad. We're going to run it. Like a healthy Jonathan Taylor is a explosive elite weapon. Now, we can also have the discussion about what's, what's his injury. The hard part with that is that I don't think we know like that's that's the other hard part about discussing this for me is a lot of the stuff that is really germane to the app to the whole thing we don't know the extent of i don't know for sure what's going on with the ankle um i i don't know for sure where taylor's head's at but i'm just like i i would prefer to have the discussion around taylor center on like what's actually going on and not keep reaching for more and more ways to like, I, I understand. I, I think, I think that in my experience online, the online version of the fan base is more angry at Taylor than the real world version of the fan base. That's just my experience. I, I don't understand being so frustrated that you're just rewriting entire chunks of history on who the player is. Uh, that's that's yeah. the frustration for me. It's like you can't talk about like it's impossible to talk about it now without somebody saying something like, "Well, was he ever any of that good?" And it's like, "Yes, yes, he was. He was good." Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. It's I just think it's rationalization is that maybe fans are bracing for the idea that he won't be here, and so you want to believe that you're better off without him. It's like the same way when you you get passed up, you know, going after a girl, and so you you try and rationalize that rather than uh, than deal with kind of the negative reality of it. And like the deal is like you can be excited for Shane Steichen and the scheme he's going to bring and how Anthony Richardson is going to help that as a mobile quarterback. All that can be true, but to sit here and act like like the a scheme is going to create the type of explosive runs we saw out of a player who had like half the top ball carrier times in the NFL who ran a 43940 who had the longest runs from 40 plus and 50 plus and 60 plus and 70 plus back in 2021. Like that is just not how football works or not. You don't have like rushing champions that were just like hodgepodge players. Now, occasionally you can have a situation where the team is so dominant running the ball without that. And people point to the Eagles last year. Now I will say Miles Sanders is still a pretty good back. He was the one guy who kind of got paid this off season He's not Jonathan Taylor. And so if you want to say, okay, you don't have to have Jonathan Taylor to be great running, that's true. 
you could still, but if you're going to use the Eagles model, okay, you better have a very good running back with a very good running quarterback and six other pro bowlers in the offense, you know, a stud right tackle on Lane Johnson and uh, an all-time center, uh, pulling center and Jason Kelsey, uh, a great two-way tight end Dallas Goddard, and then such perimeter threats in A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith on both sides that teams cannot stack the box, that they have to sometimes go too deep safety. If you put all that around uh, uh, <laughs> in your offense, then then maybe you can re- lead the league in rushing without a special running back. But this specific version of the Colts right now, with what we're seeing, the struggles they have in the offensive line with a rookie quarterback who's still very much learning. And like we've mentioned, like there's ball security and durability questions with him, even as a rusher, even as electric as he can be. With the questions at tight end where Jelani Woods hasn't practiced in weeks, they don't really have anybody proven there. And then at wide receiver, they're not really all that proven or experienced either. Good players, but not. They aren't the type of wide receivers that defenses are ter- absolutely terrified and, and have to play two deep safeties against the way that you do against A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. It's just not being realistic to the situation. I don't think it's being fair to Jonathan to just sort of write him off as like, ah, well, he's not really that much different than a, you know Deion Jackson. And, and you don't have to put down any of those players to say that Jonathan Taylor was special, and that's why he – had the most dominant rushing season by a rushing champion in like 10 years in this league. And it's, it's not going to be fun to play without that. And what we're seeing out there right now does not look that good without that. And if you want to say that that's, you know, that that's the best way to do business or that, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to take on the risk in case he gets hurt or you don't know where he's at. I think those are all fair reasons to sort of back off the contract, but it shouldn't come ever to me, come down to Jonathan Taylor's not that special or, one play caller is enough to make up for the lack of players on a team and make and just elevate them into being an amazing team. Because to me, that's kind of disrespectful to the talent the Eagles had on offense. And that's a group I watched go out there today and just torch the Colts play after play because that's what you know defending conference champions do. I I think like so I did a story at the beginning of training camp, a story that got like it, it's. It's it's the it's so funny. Like we 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 put we wrote that we posted the story online. I think on Monday morning, um, or maybe Sunday afternoon, and by Tuesday it was shot. Um, and so like I'm sure no one remembers it because like the Taylor stuff really kicked into high gear, like two days later. But like the history of like the truly mobile best running seasons by quarterbacks in the NFL, like generally those guys do create um, better rushing seasons for their backs. But what was really interesting about Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor together is, like, what if you take a really great back and give him those holes? What if you take our truly explosive back and give him those holes? Because... Like Michael Vick had a work done who was at the end, who was on the tail, who was on the, the further end of his career, wasn't as explosive as he used to be. Um, when Russell Wilson and Marshawn Lynch were together and had a very good rushing season, I still wouldn't think of Russ during that season. Like that addition, that era of the Seahawks, Russ was scrambling a lot. I don't know it was as much of the design stuff. Um, you know, uh, Lamar, when, when Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram both ran for a thousand yards, like I'm very familiar with Mark Ingram. That version of Mark Ingram was older, kind of more long in the tooth. And yes, they had really good rushing seasons. But the question, like for me, it's like, 
it's like if you get these really good rushing seasons from backs who are maybe past their prime, what could you get from somebody who's like if he's healthy? Like this, this is the, again when we have to keep bringing this up. I don't know. We don't know with the injury exactly where it is. There's too much smoke swirling around that. But if he's healthy, like the really fun thing to think about was, what if you apply all that stuff to a back who can actually really take advantage of it? You know what I mean? Like, I I do think that 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 in a situation where it's Zach Moss and Anthony Richardson together, I think Zach Moss probably has a better season because Richardson is taking attention away from him. But if Jonathan Taylor's back there, and I've talked to some defensive coaches about this. Like, if Jonathan Taylor's back there, it's a much more difficult decision on how to game plan, and because both guys can can kill you with the with the home run with the home run thing. Which that's that's kind of the name of game name of the game in NFL defenses right now. Just about everyone is trying to do whatever they can to prevent explosive plays. And most of Steichen's offense, like most, what, the very little that Steichen has said about his offense, because he's he's famously doesn't like to talk about scheme, is. It keeps coming back to explosives, explosives, explosives. Like, I, I just keep thinking, like, yes, you can, yes, you can probably get Richardson, the presence of Richardson, if he's as good a runner as we all think he's going to be, probably does open stuff up for a lesser back. But the really cool thought was, what if you did it with an elite back? And, and like, I don't, I think it's, it's fine to say, like, I'm okay with it, whatever, like they can, but they can still be successful. It doesn't mean nothing's lost, which is, which is where, which is where things have gone. Like it feels like to some degree, the talk is about like, like, well, it just get rid of him. It doesn't matter. We don't lose anything. If he's not healthy, maybe that's true. If he's healthy or has the chance to be healthy soon. And he, the, if it's the 20, if it's something close to the 2021 version, they're losing something. They're losing the explosives. Um, they're losing. You're losing the the play, the the game winner against the Patriots, when he makes a cut in the hole in just the right spot and slides past somebody. And the next thing you know, he's off to the races. Like that's that's the piece you're losing. And regardless, I don't know that maybe the Colts don't care about that because it doesn't feel like, you know, with some of the roster stuff we've just discussed, they're sort of lack of willingness to address some of that suggests that maybe they're okay with that. But this is where I was thinking about fields earlier was like, you know, are they doing enough from an offensive line standpoint? Like, are they doing enough from like, what can can you help? Can you, could you help Anthony Richardson be even more effective by giving the defense a running back? They have to like actually pay attention to you know, is there a way you can do this where you're helping Anthony Richardson develop in a way that I don't think the Bears did with Justin Fields, you know, early on? You know, I mean, Justin Fields had an incredible rushing season last year, and the Bears finished 20. The Bears were, I think, first in the league in rushing. I looked this up earlier. They were 28th in the league in total offense. Like, it's it's great and it's really cool and it produces some awesome highlights if your quarterback can run. But, you know, like, and, and the Bears didn't have like a Taylor type running back. And so, yeah, I, again, for like, I understand the argument, like focusing on the run game, 
it's not necessarily going to get get you anywhere. And the Bears do like the the Bears stats last year do lead lend to that. But I, man, I just when you don't when you're not paying a rookie court, when you're not paying a quarterback, and you're not paying a left tackle, when you're not paying any corners, like it'd be kind of fun. I just maybe maybe it, maybe it's just the football person me wanting to see what it's like when you give someone uh, a catch twenty eight in the backfield. Where it's it's you have to pick five or you have to pick twenty eight and they both can absolutely murder you on any given play. But that I like that. May, I like catch twenty eight. Maybe that version of maybe that version of Taylor's gone. Maybe I don't know. But but I was really excited about the idea of actually getting to see a truly elite explosive quarterback as a runner with a truly elite explosive running back because it's not something that we've really seen. Yeah, if that version of Jonathan Taylor is gone, I just don't think we would be able to know that. It must be due to something else that happened with the ankle because I don't think you can say that off of last year. Last year, they didn't give a situation where he could run that way. And so, yeah, there is a way you could say that, you know, if, if a running back's all you have in an offense, it's not going to be good. But what we're saying is that Jonathan Taylor, if you're if you're a believer in this offense and the system and this quarterback and that it can – produce a fairly good run game on its own, then what Jonathan Taylor gives you is an explosive element that you cannot go find on the waiver wire. And we know that because we can track it. We can track the ball carrier times and the 40-yard dash times. That's that explosiveness that turns a 25-yard designed run uh, where Anthony Richardson makes someone go after him and opens up a hole. You you turn something from like a 20-yard run into a 60-yard run. And where that matters is that you don't have to play in the red zone anymore. That the, the drive is over, and you don't have to have your rookie quarterback deal with a condensed field and try and make very tight window throws and quick decisions. And the difference between three points and seven points is tremendous in this game. And so I think that there's – the problem is we judge, like, the value of rushing offense on the whole of what all the teams are dealing with and what that adds to it. I think it's just different for the teams at the very, very top upper crust of that because they have produced some incredible years when they've had that high, 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 high peak, the way the Ravens did in a 15-1 season, the way the Eagles did last year, uh, rolling all the way to the NFC or to the Super Bowl. And that's that ceiling that I think Jonathan Taylor can bring you with Anthony Richardson. And ultimately, is that enough to make you you know, a Super Bowl team? Maybe not. But the thing right now that they have to get to is getting Anthony Richardson comfortable enough, confident enough, and not forcing mistakes enough to develop uh, as a passer. And I, I think that what Jonathan Taylor adds to that by giving this offense a superhero that's not number five is incredibly important. And I think about the way that when the Cowboys drafted a quarterback in the fourth round and Dak Prescott and had to throw him in there because Tony Romo was hurt, and he fit that offense so well because the offense was really good in part because it had Zeke Elliott and the two things those guys did for each other, a mobile quarterback playing an option game with, with a bell cow running back who I don't think is, is even as good as Taylor is like, that was huge to set up that rookie, you know, in his first year for a lot of success. So right now I just look at this offense and I say, okay, if you, if you don't want to pay the running back, then what, like, where's the explosiveness and where's the support coming from? Because right now they have an offensive line that still has a ton of questions and they have wide receivers who aren't quite proven. And you have a quarterback that we're very much expecting to have a very 
up and down season throwing because he's got to learn that. So like what overcomes the loss of the special player in the backfield? Where is that special player coming from? Is it Jelani Woods? Well, he hasn't been out there yet and he has not experienced. He doesn't have chemistry with, uh, with Anthony Richardson, you know, and I, I just don't know who else has proven in order to do that. And maybe they don't need it, but they could certainly use it, especially if they're going to have cornerback issues. And a way to keep your defense off the field is by presenting a run game that teams can't get off the field. I, there's just a lot of value I think he could bring here. Is that enough to pay a market, you know, market rate? Is it, is it going to, are you going to get burned by it in a couple of years if he's hurt? Those are fair questions, but they're absolutely missing something right now out there. They, they could have used Jonathan Taylor. And I promise you some of those plays where, uh, the ends just converged on Anthony Richardson today, and the Colts knew they couldn't just hand it out off, off up the middle against Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis. And I saw Deion Jackson or Evan Hull go to the perimeter, and not to not to knock those guys down. They're young players who can fit a team. But if that was Jonathan Taylor, he could have made one guy miss and turn turn all of a sudden a five yard run into possibly a touchdown run, and everybody feels better about it. Instead, what happened out here today? which is just a very small small snapshot into it, was a team felt like they got their ass kicked and they couldn't get out of the way of it because they don't have that guy to lift them out of it. And back in 2021, the Colts had that on both sides of the ball. Shaq Leonard would punch the ball out when a d- drive was not going well on defense, get everybody fired up, and Jonathan Taylor would rip off a 40-yard run for a touchdown and save a team that otherwise kind of had some issues going on in the pass game. It wasn't enough to get the playoffs, but it was enough to get them on the doorstep to a point where they kind of had to choke it away. And if those end up being the issues of like, well, this is this team's pretty good, but maybe they need to invest a little bit more in premium positions. I think that's a great conversation to have in a couple of years. But what matters more than anything right now is making it so that Anthony Richardson is not so overwhelmed by what he's up against that he forms bad habits, gets injured, and can't ever succeed. And I think they're at risk of that right now between their offensive line issues and not having Jonathan Taylor. I'm going to throw out a team here that maybe people have forgotten a little bit. Um, and just, this is kind of what, like I said, maybe the football person, maybe, maybe the, the excitement of the football in me was, was looking through this and just sort of kind of getting pumped about the idea of this possibly being the case here is, so Cam Newton's rookie year, Carolina. Um, they had an offense newton came in and essentially turned a a rushing offense that was you know 4.3 4.1 yards carry for stewart and jonathan stewart and d'angelo williams if hopefully you guys know who i'm hopefully you guys remember who i'm talking about there um into they turned them like the presence of, of newton kind of turned them into like five and a half yard guys um and they rushed for a ton of yards. They were really, really good on the ground. They averaged 5.4 yards a carry as a team, which is wow. Um, like Taylor to me is kind of like, to my memory, D'Angelo Williams, it was the sort of, you know, speed guy, the home run hitter. Stewart was more of a pounder. They kind of could do a little bit of both, but that was kind of how you, like I think Taylor is yep. kind of a combination of both players. Really. Um, and and here's here's the interesting part for me is that they averaged 5.4 rushing yards per carry as a team which is crazy three guys rushed for more than 700 yards um 
all of them averaged right around five and a half yards per carry. But the part that's really interesting to me has nothing to do with the running game, really. Because they, they finished, they finished uh, third in the league in rushing yards per game that year. The interesting piece to me is that with Newton as a rookie quarterback and having some concerns as, as a, as in terms of his efficiency and accuracy as a passer, he only completed 60% of his throws. The Panthers were 13th in the NFL in passing yards per game and 10th in passing yards per play. They were 7th in total offense that season. Now, their defense was terrible, and they finished 6-10. and 10, But, like, that's the team that I was sort of, like, thinking of as, like, the high end of, like, everything that we've heard about Steichen and what he wants from an explosive play type of offense. Like, Cam Newton was at 7.8 yards per attempt that season and only completed 60% of his passes. He was only sacked 35 times. That's, you know, that's two a game, basically. Um, you know, and that, that was a team that had the number one pick. Uh, that, that team has just sort of interested me as if you can get all of the explosives together, all in the same spot, and defenses can't figure out how to keep themselves from getting gashed, you can get more out of an offense than maybe your passing game efficiency lends itself to you know like cam newton through he only completed 60 percent of his passes he threw 17 interceptions in his rookie season like his rating his quarterback rating which you know obviously is a it's a misnomer of a stat and and to some degree some of the, the total yards are too but that's a very effective offense for a team whose starting quarterback is a six out of ten passer with 17 picks and i don't know i just kind of wanted to see it I kind of wanted to see if, if you could meld that together. If you can, me- if you're if you're taking D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart, and you're mesh, you're rubbing it, you know, you're erasing their, you're kind of putting them together in one player with Taylor, with the breakaway speed and the power and everything like that, and then pairing them with Richardson. Like, what is that open on the outside for this explosive passing game that Steichen wants to create? And maybe they can still have that with Zach Moss and Deion Jackson. I just, what we've seen from Zach Moss and Deion Jackson at this point in their careers is not, is not the explosive capabilities that we're going to see. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll still get to see the offense. But I was really excited about the possibility of that kind of explosiveness from an offense. That, that's a big play offense. Five and a half yards per carry, 7.8 yards per attempt. Big play offense for the Panthers that year. Yeah, and I've always been a believer that it just helps to have something you do really well on offense, sort of becomes a bread and butter, becomes a foundation, identity, different ways to phrase it. I think it helps, though, building off that, where you can play sort of simple early. You can keep the whole offense simple early on if you can do that thing well, no matter if the team, team you're going up against knows it's coming, whether the downs or distances are perfect for that or not. That's what dominant run games can do. The Eagles did it with Shane Steichen. I thought the Colts had an opportunity if they had Jonathan Taylor out there. And it is, we talk a lot about how like the mobile quarterback changes the math. You have like a Jalen Hurts and it's like having an extra blocker. It's like playing with 12. To your point, it's it can kind of feel that way in the run game with a player like Taylor when he can be both what, you know, D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart were. Or I think about like the year that, 
the Ravens went crazy with Lamar Jackson, you know, they had a three-headed monster with Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram where they kind of pieced together these different traits, and it was awesome. But, like, they, that team went with, you know, the full house backfield at times. Imagine just going with a single back in the backfield and then being able to run, you know, two tight ends instead where you've got Jelani Woods and Drew Ogletree, and so you have an extra blocker out. You, you're able to have a blocker and a receiver introduce the play action off of that you know, be so lethal in the ground game that you force teams to play that extra safety in the box. That's what the Eagles did last year. That opens up the explosive play action opportunities for Alec Pierce to fly by the way he did by James Bradbury today, or maybe it's Jelani Woods up the seam. Uh, you know, there's just, you introduce exciting plays and those exciting plays are just big for young players and developing an offense. Even if the whole picture is imperfect, the team can be six and 10, like you said with the Panthers, but no one walked away from that Panthers team feeling like they were in a bad spot. Like they drafted an exciting rookie quarterback. They were the worst team in football to get there. Then they had a sizable step forward by being dominant at one area. And they realized we got to grow the other areas. That means growing our quarterback as a passer and then making the roster adjustments to kind of take a step forward there. If if this year what happens is the Colts had a dominant run game, but maybe they lost, maybe they lose games because of the youth in the secondary and you know, not enough sacks and the passing games developing, they'd feel great going into next year because they would know exactly what they got to add. Now it's time to start adding resources to the back end of the defense, to the pass rush, and just keep growing the passing game. But I just fear that they could be in a spot where they could be really, they could have a rough season because they don't have that thing that they're great at. And so when you're stuck in that spot, everything else gets stressed a little bit. You don't know quite what to add yet. Uh, at some point, I, I know this year, It's it, I think part of why fans are okay with them not paying Taylor, it seems like is you realize, it's like what Jim Mercer has brought up, Chris Bowers brought up. They're, they're coming off a four-win season, so it's like they don't know quite how close they are. And I think there's no doubt. I'm not saying Jonathan Taylor this year would make this like a big contending team, but I think it could set you up for next year to really feel like you can take that leap if you had a dominant run game, because you would know exactly what you need to add. The passing game side of it has to be organic to a level, and then you can kind of push chips in on the, the other parts of it. And the only way that they can really hit the fever pitch with Anthony Richardson on a rookie deal is to use the cap space in that way while he's on the rookie deal. So what gets him What gets him to that floor quickest? What gets this offense explosive and lethal enough quickest? I think Jonathan Taylor is a key piece of that, that – Frankly, they have the money for, you know, it's one thing people love to bring up the Eagles letting Miles Sanders go. They did that after they paid Jalen Hurts. So part of it was they had to cut some corners. Part of it was they didn't need him as much anymore because Jalen Hurts is the offense. And if that's the point they're at in three years where they where Anthony Richardson is as is, is good as Jalen Hurts, then by all means, don't pay your running backs anymore. But until he's there, I think you have to just throw everything at the possibility of creating that player in Anthony Richardson, um, because otherwise what you risk is the opposite, which is you get to the end of next year and you go, man, we kind of pulled the bears and we didn't do enough for our young quarterback. I really liked, I really liked the idea and the concept of getting to see this. Is, I'm just going to, this is just me going full of <laughs> Um I really like the idea and the concept of getting to see what the run game could look like when the defense can't um, 
eliminate any possibilities by skill set. Because Richardson obviously weighs 250 pounds and he's incredibly fast. And Taylor's 230 pounds and powerful and fast. And I really wanted to see, like on an NFL level, um, what happens when you can't just key in on, uh, like, okay, the running back is probably going at the middle, the quarterback is probably going on the outside. Like, just from a just from that standpoint, I really wanted to see that. Maybe I still maybe I'll still get to. You know, there's there's obviously a very significant chance that they don't that they can't find a trade partner and Taylor's kind of stuck and has to play this out. That that's very, very real and very possible. Um but just everything that's happened, like I just keep thinking about that story and looking through all those those guys and then these good Russian teams and being like, Man, I got to cover a really great, I got to cover a truly great running game that everyone's forgotten about from college football because they didn't win the national championship. Um, like Auburn basically ran a zone read all the way to the national championship game in 2013. People remember that season because of the kick six and because of the prayer at Jordan Hare and all these miracle wins. But the real like bones of that offense and the way they beat people was they just killed you with the zone read over and over and over again. Because they had a really they had a really dynamic quarterback. He wasn't powerful like Richardson is, but Nick Marshall was super fast. And then they had a guy named Trey Mason who had like an incredible season as a runner. And it was really fun to watch that offense and figure out like, and see all the things that they did, the wrinkles that they did as teams adjusted to what they were doing in the zone read, the way they would alter it a little bit or do whatever they had to to get it. And they just like they ran all over Alabama in that kick six game. And I, I don't know. Selfishly, I just wanted to see the Colts. I wanted to see what the Colts were going to do with Richardson and Taylor if both of them were at the top of the game. Maybe Taylor's not at the top of his game, but I can still dream, can I? Absolutely. And the last thing that I would add on that subject is that I, for all that we talk about the value of run games, the way the game's changing, and I'm never going to argue against that. I absolutely think you have to move toward building around the, you know, the pass and, and explosive plays in the pass game. There is still always going to be a value when you talk to football people in the run game in the sense that there's just something fun and special about going out there, playing downhill, and kicking someone's ass. <laughs> like offensive linemen will just tell you that when they can play downhill and the other team knows the run's coming and they can't stop it and they're going to throw it and, and, and shove it down their throat while the, the other team's tired and exhausted. That's what got that team in 2021, the Colts team, looking like they were that kind of awesome team that could go handle anything. Like when they went on Christmas uh, night over to, into Arizona and, and put that game away, the way they did it to Bill Belichick, even though they knew the run was coming. Now, that didn't get them all the way there, but there was still a very – a huge momentous you know value to that and if this team wants to get its offensive line turned around one big part of that is getting these guys to play five as one that comes in the run game and getting them to be really confident and believe in themselves and bounce back to some of what they used to be which the run game does that for them but there's a huge confidence boost to playing really well in the run game and, and maybe they still will but I don't think it will be as good as it could be with Taylor. And if you got that high ceiling with Taylor, I think you could move enough of these linemen forward in a positive direction to where the adjustments they have to make in pass pro aren't quite so daunting. They're not quite as much of the volume of what they have to handle. And 
that's another part of this team is that they have still sunk more resources in the offensive line than almost than most teams in football. And they've got to find a way to get more value out of them. And I think Jonathan Taylor helps there too. I'm going to let Nate go now. Nate probably has a cheesesteak he wants to see. Where'd you go last night? Where'd you get your cheesesteak yeah, from uh, last night? Delessandro's, which is the uh, place up on the north side that uh, a lot of people here would just recommend. You got to go there. It's so popular. I got there at like two o'clock and there's like two like two different lines. One you order in, one you wait in and just like lines out to the sidewalk. But it was wonderful. It was absolutely awesome. And um, I don't know if I'll do cheesesteak tonight or if I'll try to find Philly's got a lot of nice Italian restaurants. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I meant to ask Zaire Franklin for some food tips today, but he was he had a little more pressing issues on his mind. But I'll I'll go look and find something good. If uh if you want another cheesesteak, go to Jim's. Jim's is incredible. I've heard that one. Mm-hmm. That 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 I'll hit um, that up. I got time here. We got I'll be here till Friday morning. So yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll probably do another podcast here, hopefully before cutdowns. Um. We don't necessarily know the, the back end of the schedule is kind of up in the air right now, um, but we're going to try doing the podcast at some point after Nate gets back uh, from Philly. There's one more preseason game. Enjoy yourself. Sounds like Grant Richardson is going to start this one. Um, we're going to have some, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm right now I'm working on my thoughts from training camp from everything I charted during training camp. Uh, we're going to have roster projections, that kind of thing going up at Indy star, lots of stuff. As we now gear up for the actual start of the regular season, the actual roster, and seeing what happens. For the Colts Cover 2 podcast, I'm Joel A. Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. Nate, enjoy Philly.